Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series focusing on the God-given responsibility of parenting that I'm entitling Family. If the health of our church family requires healthy families, then we need to know what God's Word says to both inform and influence our task of parenting. Thanks for joining us on this new series as we seek to uncover the responsibility of God's family. Well, it's not a typo. I'm having to uh, answer that question this morning. Uh, We start a new series this morning that I have titled uh, Family. And uh, it takes the first three letters from the word family, and it takes the last four letters from the word responsibility, so that family becomes a word that we recognize means there is a responsibility to the family. And so throughout this month and into the first week in November, uh, we're going to be searching the scriptures primarily in the book of Proverbs, uh, working towards giving an evaluation over your calling, whether you were like... When we play hide and seek, you remember what they say? They finish counting. Ready or not. And uh, many times I think uh, any amens that that's what it's like with parenting. Anybody? Ready or not. This is now the task that you have been called to. Uh, The foundation of this series is one that sees the church as a family. However, we are a family that is made up of Families, And if that is true, then a necessity for a healthy church is healthy families. Uh, you, hear me. You will not have a healthy church if you do not have healthy families. And so that's the scope and, and, and the foundation behind this series. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you think, boy, am I glad my kids are grown and out of the house. I can just sit back next couple of weeks. And let the young ones feel the heat, right? I don't know if anyone's thinking that, but uh, that is clearly not going to be an opportunity for you. Because as we look towards the responsibility of the family, one of the things that we will uncover is that you have a role to play. Whatever age you are at, whatever age your children are at. So maybe you're here thinking today, thank the Lord I didn't have any kids. And I don't have anything to worry about. Uh, Remember, we are a family of families. And you do have a role to play. Part of the initiative and the reason behind this is wanting to do justice to a a, a tradition and a practice that we have here at the church. Occasionally, from time to time, a family will bring a newborn up uh, to receive the sign of the covenant of God's grace through baptism. Now this, again, doesn't save them, but it does represent for them the completed finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you've been to one of those services, you might recall that I, as the pastor, have an obligation to look to the parents and say, do you dedicate this child wholeheartedly, unexclusively, and do you swear before God today that you will live your life in a manner such that they will learn faith at an early age? Everybody with me on that? That sounds a little familiar. What do I do after that? What do I do after I speak to the parents? I turn to who? I turn to all of us. Because the challenge of raising a child does not simply belong to those who have children or those who have grandchildren. We are a family. Amen? Amen. We are a family of families. And so we're, we're going to spend some time on that. Uh, that. That's what this next few weeks is going to look at. Family means the responsibility of the family. And, and if this is maybe catching you off guard this morning... Um, I I want you to know that there is great patience and long-suffering in God's purpose for you. uh, But you need to make sure that you tune your ears to his word today. Uh, I believe that we live in a world that has been duped by the evil one such that the great, heavy responsibility of parents is something that we have learned to outsource in our world today. Uh, Think with me about the American model. Does it pay much sense if you're a business to mow your own lawn? No, what do you do? When's the last time you saw a CEO mowing a lawn? They farm that job out. They outsource that to professionals. And take that same concept and you can apply that to almost every aspect of our life today. 
That in this country, we don't live with generational faith being passed down. Instead, in our country today, we think, that's what we hired the pastor for. (laughs) Right? Send the kids uh, to VBS. Uh, Let let them go to Sunday school. And that's where they will learn. Uh, I want to make a very clear and a firm call to the church. That this is not the responsibility of spiritual professionals. You and I, we live in a world where that class distinction in and itself has undercut the gifting of the Spirit that's given to all of you. The calling to train up a child is one that is given to moms and dads. And in the church, it's given to grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles. It's given to the body. It's given to the family. So with this in mind, uh, I I want to start this morning talking to you about an illustration uh, that I think highlights a major problem in our world today. Um, Anybody ever try to diet and exercise? (laughs) Come on, be honest, right? All right, now here's a tougher question. How are you doing? You still still on it? (laughs) No. Crazy thing with diet and exercise, when you finally find the time and you give the effort to it, things tend to work well. You turn around, you shed a few pounds, you feel a little better, right? But then what happens? That's right, Friday night's pizza night, right? And, and I hadn't had pizza in months. And instead of eating two slices like I should, I ate the whole pizza. <laughs> And once again, you'll find that the aches and pains of this world, the temptations and gratifications of our flesh, folks, they ain't taking a day off. And there is a corruption in our world. There is a corruption in our world that we feel in our flesh. Because of this, if you wanted to stand against it, uh, diet and exercise are not an event. They're a process. You, You hear me, right? If you want to stay healthy, this is something that you have to adopt into your life. It's a process. Can you say that with me? Ready? It's a process. That's right. Uh, The corruption that you find in your flesh is the exact same corruption that has woven its way into the spirits of every girl and boy that's born into this world. There's a corruption that comes. And because of that, you and I need to be the type of parents. We need to be a type of Christians who don't take the concept of parenting as an event. It is a process. And so the title that I have for this morning is called The Process of Their Hearts. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs. I invite you to please turn to Proverbs chapter 1. My goal for this morning is going to be to, to read through a large portion of this text. And then we're going to look at three Problems that live in our world, specific to the nature of parenting. Uh, I, I really want you to, to do your best to try to internalize these problems because my guess is you've encountered them already. I'm going to work towards providing definition for what you've already encountered. All right, so three major problems, and under each of these problems, I'm going to give you some very significant truths. Uh, That's what this morning is. It's really truth heavy. uh, Because what we want to do as parents is build our goals. We want to build our uh, concept of parenting off of that which is true. Not off of that which we wish were true. But what really is out there. So Proverbs chapter 1. Let's just start in verse 1. Thank you. Page 984 in our pew Bibles. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners incite you, do not give in to them. 
If they say, come along with us. Let's lie in wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We'll get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw your lot in with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths for, they, for their feet rush into sin. Their swiftest shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of the birds. These men lay in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who will go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public square. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out in the gateways of the city. She makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you have rejected me when I called, and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice, would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then you'll call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice, they spurned my rebuke. They will eat the fruit of their ways, they will be filled with the fruit of their schemes for the Waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear or harm. Chapter 1. There's a lot there, isn't there? Packed. Uh, We're we're not going to pay too much attention this morning to the prologue, other than let me just point out verse 7 to you, is where the beginning of wisdom resides. It's in the fear of the Lord. I had um, a message I offered to our uh, back-to-school kids in the month of September, and I told them that that's the only person you need to fear is God. You don't need to fear anybody. Now, I'm used to that terminology, but (laughs) I was reminded, I don't know if all the kids know what you mean when you say fear the Lord. So uh, maybe let's talk about that very briefly. A fear of the Lord is reverential awe of God. It's very similar to how you and I should fear fire. Who here is afraid of fire? Yeah, yeah a couple hands go up. Uh, what about when it's nestled in your hearth in, in the home providing warmth? Uh, you see, fire gives life. Uh, fire, in many ways, is alive, provides a sense of comfort. And, and, and uh, it has for centuries been that which mankind has turned to and utilized. Right? But what if you live over in California? Right? You see fire a little bit differently. When you hear about it on the news and you can't see the road you're driving on, right? Because fire is something that you both are thankful for and you know could destroy you. That's a similar way in which we're called to fear God. It's not I'm afraid of God or God's going to hurt me, but you understand how holy and powerful he is. There's a passage out of C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia where uh, Lucy and um, Edmund and Peter and Susan. Remember the story? They're, they're there with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and, and they're talking about Aslan, the lion, the king of all the other animals, the king of the land. And Lucy asks, well, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, certainly not. He's not safe, but he's good. That's a similar way that we need to understand the fear of the Lord. God is not safe, but he is good. And so you have nothing to fear with God in that he has adopted you into his family, and yet you treat him with honor and respect and reservation. That's where our text says knowledge begins. That's where wisdom begins. If you reject God and the authority of God, if you don't have any fear in your eyes for God, you will be like a fool. You will not have wisdom or knowledge. So with that being said, I'd like us to look at a few of the problems that get highlighted for us in this text specific to the nature 
of parenting our children. The first is that the problem that they have, every one of our children have, is called idolatry. The first problem every one of your children have is idolatry. If you were to look back in the text in verses 13 and 14, you you might recall that as the father speaks to his son, he says, look, if there's sinful men who are enticing you, don't go with them. But then he gives you the claim of their enticement. Do you remember what it was? What did they say? Look in verse 13. They say, we'll get all sorts of loot. Right? That's my translation of it. Right? All sorts of uh, uh, valuable things. Um, Fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll have a common share. What, what, what do we call the, uh, the day after Thanksgiving? What's that called? How sad is that? It's called Friday is what it's called. But when you ask an American, what do they say? It's called Black Friday, right? And the reason it's black is because all of those folks selling money spend their uh, budgets in the red until Friday after Thanksgiving because in this country, we are materialists. And, and guess what happens to their bottom line after that Friday? It goes from the red into the black. And so Black Friday, it's not even no secret. They name it that knowing they're taking advantage of us. More loot, right? More goodies. What do, what do we, the sales are on. The sales are on. I got my coupons. We're going to Kohl's. Right? This is, this is the state of our country that we're in. Now, guess what? You've learned that from infancy. You've, you've had that from the beginning. Because that's called idolatry. Uh, the, the, the desire to put anything above God. I don't mean by idolatry that you bow down to a little statue. Right? That there's some totem that you're worshiping. Uh, that, that would be a false understanding of idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything above God. Taking anything and putting it above God. Check this out. Paul writes to Timothy. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Yeah. I, I don't want to get. I don't want to step on too many toes. I know the nature of what our world is, but I hear sometimes that I, I can't make it to church because they got me scheduled to make a buck. Now that's unfortunate, and I really don't want to harp on anybody because you, look, the lot that we live in here means that sometimes folks need to work on a weekend, right? That's tough. If nothing else, you you should find some other time in your week to worship collectively with God's people, but don't use money as a legitimization to put God second. You understand? Don't don't use the almighty dollar as something greater than the almighty. That's called what? Put it back up here. That's called idolatry. Uh, Yesterday I picked up some pumpkins and they had a good sale. You could buy these little gourds and gourds are my favorite. I remember when I was a kid and we would have the the day to the pumpkin farm. You guys ever had that field trip when you were kids? You'd go out and and they would have all these weird looking vegetables, right? These gourds that have knobs on them, different colors. They got stripes. They got little, uh, it's fantastic. I loved it. And so we're buying uh, two for a buck. And I come home yesterday with like a handful of them. And first thing, Sadie finds one that Micah wanted. And what's the word out of her mouth? Mine. Mine. Where, where, Where do they learn that from? They're, they're woven in their nature with that. that. That comes from a corruption of their hearts. So this is the first truth I want to give you. Is that the problem with your child's behavior is not their behavior. It's their hearts. The problem with your child's behavior. It's not their behavior. It's their hearts. Here's a book of, or a verse from Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Have you ever got something that you really, really wanted? Come on, you saved up for it, you waited, you got it, but then it wasn't quite what you hoped for, that dissatisfaction after getting what you want, right? Yeah. Um, yesterday, uh, my, my brother-in-law... Um, he got a new pickup truck and uh, sent me a picture. And what do you think the first thing through my heart was? It was Chuck envy is what it was. It was jealousy is what it was. Right? Because he's got more cup holders than I do. Right? 
because his mileage is better than mine or whatever it might be. But I didn't even ask for that. I didn't want that. But I found that heart right there, that, that, that emotion right in my heart before anything. Understand this, that if you as a parent only treat behavioral problems of your children, but you never speak to the heart, you will only be putting a band-aid over a much deeper disease. As parents, we need to understand this truth. The problem with your children is not their behavior. It's their hearts. And I have seen firsthand families and parents who demand outward coercion from their children that you say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And those kids, they say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, when their parents are around. But when those parents are gone, that true, grotesque corruption of the heart comes out. If you only address behavioral problems, you will fail to get to the root of the issue. Second truth I want to share with you on this subject of idolatry, which, by the way, is their relationship to the world. Uh, all of us as parents need to understand your children have got some relationship with the world. We have to pay attention to that. Uh, Second is this. Your child will be led towards worship by their environment. They will be led towards worship. Uh, Look with me again in verse 10 of our text. My son, if sinners entice you. How evil. That's just evil. Terrible. Terrible. Awful truth. Why is sin ever enticing? It shouldn't be, you know. It really shouldn't be. Sin is in rejection to God's command and God's word. You know what the way it should work? Is that when you see somebody doing something that's wrong, immediately you should want to turn and run the other way. I was talking just with a friend of mine this morning, before church start, about the temptation a lot of our young, uh, young people have in uh, high school. Uh, with alcohol and drinking. He said he would never go and buy it on his own, right? But then when you're around the wrong people, it's just always there. In the matter of your attention that you give to value something above God is worship. So here's the deal. For ill or for good, your children will be led towards Worship by their environment. Check this verse out in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Parents, I cannot emphasize this to you enough. Pay attention to the friends that your children make. If they're with good kids, you can, you can rest assured that good, parent, good kids come from good parenting. And so you want them to be in those environments. But that moment where little Susie or little Johnny starts to walk after somebody who you in your heart characterize as a red flag, that's where you need to step in as a parent. Because they may have good character, but what's the promise from God's word? It will be corrupted. I mean, I, I can remember moments where, um, you can ask Emily on this, my, uh, my kids will come back from school and they'll say something that she and I have never said. But where, where did you learn that phrase? Where, where did you learn a word like that? Where did that come from? doesn't come from us. Where's it come from? Folks, you understand, right? It comes from all those friends that are so very tempting to fit in and find a pure identity with. Psalm 1 says, Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor seat, sit in the seat of mockers. Look, we, we as parents need to understand that our children will be led towards worship by the environment they find themselves in. Pay attention to your kid's environment. Pay attention to those that they spend their time with. Thirdly is this. Character development is fleeting. Character development is fleeting. Uh, Look with me back in our text to verse 28. Uh, Just before 28, uh, wisdom here uh, being, uh, and and this is God's word, God himself being personified as as a woman of wisdom. So God's words here are wisdom. In the, uh, in the verses just prior, uh, there, there's kind of a retribution where since you rejected me, guess what's going to happen when calamity comes over you? And this is in verse 28. It says these words. When they will call to me, I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Look, there, there may come a time where your children understand, geez, path I'm on is the wrong path. 
you, you've been in that ditch for so long, it's hard to get those tires out of the rut. You guys know what I'm talking about? When, when, when you spend so much time with the wrong people, characterizing habits that are wrong, how easy is it to, to break an entrenched habit? How, how, how easy is that? Not, not easy at all. Because character development for you as a, a parent is something that you only have a little while to foster. We heard it this morning, right? Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child... Oh, no, we, we were in a different one. But here's this one. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. What does it say? Train up a... It doesn't say teenager. It doesn't say young adult. This needs to happen at a young, tender age. Anybody here ever work with pottery? Clay? Anyone here ever play with Play-Doh? Good. What happens if you leave the clay out? What happens if you leave the, the Play-Doh out for a while, Right? Yeah, because, because when, when, it's, when it's young, right, when it first comes out, what is it? It's moldable, and it's shapeable, and it's sensitive, right? And, and as, as your hand moves across like a, like a potter, a finely a skilled master craftsman, they can make unbelievable artisan works with the skill of their hand because the clay is responsive. But if you let the clay sit out, what happens to it? It resists the change. It resists it. This is a truth that you and I, as parents and as the body of Christ, though though we are all part of his family, we need to understand this. Character development for our children is fleeting. Wisdom here says, you're going to look for me eventually, but you're not going to find me. Someday you're going to call out for me. It's going to be hard-pressed to find me at that point. Uh, when I served on the mission field, um, I, was the, I was the campus coordinator and I was the vice principal. So that meant I was involved in every disciplinary issue. Every, every kid that had any problem, I was involved with. And we had this one boy. Woo! His one doozy of a, of a child. 16 years old, unruly, wanted to do whatever he wanted. He struck out once, twice, three times, four times. I mean, we gave try after try. We called his mother in. We called anybody else in his vicinity that, that could help. And here we are, the end of our rope. We've had it with this child. And the mom is sitting there at the table, and I got the principal, and I'm there, and I got the teachers, and I got all the accounts and the record of his misbehavior. I mean, factual. We want this kid to succeed. He's just resistant to it. And the mom in that moment, do you know what she did? As we're on the cusp of expulsion, we've done suspension. We've done detention. We're on the eve of expulsion. And she stands up at this table. And she undignifiedly removes her belt from her waist, forces her 16-year-old child to stand up, and begins to whip him in front of us. That was probably the most awkward meeting I've ever had. (laughs) Sitting there watching this kid that we have pleaded with get beat by his mom. Not a single tear shed from his eye. His head hung in shame, and I could only just preach in my heart, Mom, that's 10 years too late. This child is hardened to your words. The opportunity for character development is fleeting, church. You need to take advantage of it. The reason all of this is true is because woven in the heart of our children is an idolatry. Did, did you catch it? I, I want to make sure you're not just hearing my words, but you hear the words from Scripture. The call of these sinful ones to entice was what? We're going to get rich. We're going to get loot. You're going to have plunder to fill your house. And in the same way that all those sales and the advertisements and the commercials for Black Friday, they bring that same temptation to our hearts. That's the idolatry that's woven into the hearts of our young people. First problem, idolatry. Second problem, depravity. No longer a relationship with your children in the world. This is their relationship to their own heart. Uh, This is the passage that we looked at in, in Proverbs 22. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. This word bound up is used in the, in the Hebrew tense as a, as a passive. It's a participle. What's happening here is that foolishness is attached to your kid. Whether he wants it or not. That's what this is saying. That's what that word bound up means. Do you guys ever see a, a three-legged race? You guys know what those are, right? You got one person with one leg and the other person and they tie their legs together and then you just die laughing watching them try to hobble their way across to you. 
that, that, that idea of tying together is this word right here in Hebrew. Foolishness. It's attached to your children. It, it's tied up in their nature. It's bound to them. That's depravity. It's the brokenness of their hearts. First truth I want to give you is this. Children are not born neutral beings. They are born with broken hearts. If you look with me in verse 31, you'll see even as we just get to the end of this passage in in Proverbs chapter 1, wisdom says, they will eat the fruit of their ways. They will be filled with the fruit of their schemes. It's not somebody else. Not somebody else's fault. In fact, the entire reason why correction needs to come to them is because they're already broken. This is a huge failure in our world today. Major problem in parenting in America is this idea that my only job as mom and dad is to provide a safe home for my kids to grow up in. Just a safe home, three square meals a day, and they'll they'll grow up right. If I just do that, they'll grow up right. Because you have bought a false idea that your kids are neutral. They are not neutral beings. And if you just keep them safe in this house and and, and shower them with blessings, that will in turn turn into character development and godliness. It will not. Our children are already depraved in their hearts. Again, don't take my word for it. Look at what the psalmist writes. Psalm 51 verse 5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What chance did he have? Sinful from when? Conception, folks. Right? That's when it begins. Sin woven into the fabric of our children. Hey, you got to teach your kid to lie. Who here had to teach their kid to lie? Did you have to teach your child to talk back to you? Did did you have to take them to disrespectful parent classes? Now you finish your disrespectful class homework before dessert. No. Oh, you already finished. <laughs> These are not things that we have to teach our children. It's, it's sin that's woven into them from birth. It's the nature. It's the corruption. In the same way that exercise plagues our outer bodies, your souls and our souls of our children, they're broken in their hearts. And children are not born neutral. I, I can't emphasize enough the need... <sighs> for parents to understand this truth. You do not raise your children in a neutral setting. They come to us broken. And to just provide what they need and hope, I hope they turn out okay. Who, who, who are you fooling with that? They will not turn out okay. We have to go beyond that. Number two is this. Uncorrected depravity breeds destruction. Look in verse 19 of our text. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain, it takes away the lives of those who get it. Look down at verse 33. Whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease and without fear or harm. And the verse just before that, verse 32. The waywardness of the simple will... What's your Bible say? Yeah. So that's worse than jail, right? That's worse than detention or expulsion. That's the place where uncorrected depravity leads If it's true, hear me now, if it's true that your child's heart is broken and they are indeed depraved from birth, then that will lead to death without correction. Here's a fantastic verse from James as he writes to the church. When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away, how? By their own evil. So where'd the evil come from? Didn't come from the world. Didn't come from God. It was right there all along. Their hearts is where the depravity is something that's woven into their nature. They're not neutral, but continue. And they're enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to... Do you see where this leads? Uh, you, you and I, we got to own this this morning. As a family, as a church family, for the sake of the generation that comes beyond us. For our own merit of disciplining ourselves as parents. Hear me now. Uncorrected depravity. It will lead to death. That's, that's the road that you're on if it goes uncorrected. It's to death. Thirdly is this. Repentance is the first step on the path to life. There's a, there's a fantastic verse here that I want to draw your attention to. Verse 23. 
Um, and if you have an NIV, I'd, I would encourage you to, to work on the translation here. I think they could have got this a little better nuanced. Verse 23 says, If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Do you see the if there? There, there was something that needed to happen for wisdom. But what do these, these kids need to do? So your Bible says respond. The Hebrew word there, it means to turn. Do you know we have a better word in our faith that talks about turning? It's the word repent. It's the word repent. This word specifically in verse 23 is wisdom's call as she has called out in verse 22. How long? Do you see that? Verse 22. Again, how long? That same idea is picked up here in verse 23. How long will you not repent? How much longer will you continue? Again, in the book of James, James write this, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Repentance is the first step in the path to life. How do you get to Marquette from here? Hit 95 and turn. We all, we all on that, right? Wait, left, right? You're coming out here? Do I, do I turn right going south, or do I turn left? Do I have my right and left, right? We, we, we turn left to go to Marquette, right? right. Well, 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 what if I, because I'm really terrible at my right, ask my mom. I get them mixed up all the time. I can't remember which is which. But uh, let's say I go towards Iron Mountain, and let's say I'm driving erratically. You're with me, and I'm kind of swerving, and I'm speeding, and I'm honking. I'm just obnoxious driver. Going the wrong direction. Now let's say you convince me that my behavior needs to change. Right? I, I, I need to follow the speed limit. And so I do. I need to swap swerving. So I stop swerving. I stay between the lines. And I stop making obnoxious noise, honking. I'm still what? Going the wrong direction. What good is, what, what, what good is behavior modification if in the end it leads to the wrong destination? Do you see the point? The path to life is not behavioral change. It has to start at the heart. Parents, you need to speak to the issue that's the source of the disease, and it comes from our kids' hearts. Repentance is the answer to that. Changing their behavior will only lead them fancierly to hell. You'll get there looking all polished and clean, showing up at the wrong destination. Repentance is turning. That's in verse 23. If you had responded, the word here means repent. It means to turn. If you had turned. All right. Last one. Third problem is authority. i I'll be honest with you. I can go 90 minutes on this one alone. I won't. But I'm telling you this here in our world today. The reason, the reason I'm highlighting this is because you need to understand this is a putrid removal of God's authority in our world. People today... Do not follow after his authority. They have no fear of God before their eyes. Their own desires are the most important thing. Have you ever heard somebody talk about my truth? Well, this is my truth. That's a, that is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. There is no such thing. You could say my opinion. Uh, this is my preference. I'm fine with that. But if we're talking about truth, truth by its definition is exclusivistic. It's true, whether you like it or not. And so having my truth has become a way of upending God's authority in our world today. This from 2 Timothy. You remember I started with this verse? There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be what? Lovers of themselves? Lovers of money? You tell me if you can identify the direction of authority in this individual. All right? They're boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What is their authority? Their desires. That's what it is. It's what I want. They say, that's my truth. It's my truth. I get what I want. Uh, I'm sorry that you and I, we live in a world that has perverted this concept. Because what that will mean then is if you're to take a stand against truth, you now participate in something that's called an ad, uh, ad hominem, ad 
hoc uh, argument with the person. You now have to attack the person because they've made it their own. Instead of truth being something external to us that both of us come under. There's no such thing as my truth in our world today. There is only truth and our own need to ask, do I submit to it or do I rebel against it? Because here's the, here's the honest truth, folks. Your child and every child has an orientation towards God. You understand? Everybody in here today, you all are oriented towards God. Either you are oriented to Him with a, with a volitional need bent before Him to worship Him, or you are oriented to Him like this. Say whatever you want, man. I'm going to have it my way. Every child is oriented towards God. It's not that some need an orientation and others don't have it. Everyone has one. It's a question of what orientation is it. Number one of the first truth is this. The heart will worship what it deems authoritative. The heart will worship whatever it deems. So, so whatever you put as the authority in your life, guess what? That's what people will cater to. Listen to Jesus' words. He says, no one can serve two masters. That alone should settle the issue. You're going you're to only serve one. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. In Jesus' context here, he's dealing with people who are motivated by money. He said you can't serve both God and money. The fact here remains that you will worship what you deem authoritative. Here's another verse out of Isaiah. The prophet speaks to the nation of Israel. All day long I held up my hand to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good. Pursuing what? That's my truth. Pursuing their own imaginations. Pursuing what they want. There's a passage in Philippians that I I have to see if uh, you guys can catch here. We've talked about three problems. right? What are they? You can cheat if you need to. Idolatry, depravity, and authority. I want you to check out this passage and see if you can identify. All three show up here. Paul writes, For as I've often told you before, and I'll tell you again even with tears... Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mindset on earthly things. This first one, destiny is destruction. Which do you think that is? Idolatry, depravity, or authority? Do you you, you see depravity there? Their destiny is... Why? Because they're depraved. That's why they're separated from God already. There's depravity. What's this next one? Their God is their stomach. That's idolatry. Is everybody tracking with me this morning? Right? Quiz time here in church. Yeah, idolatry is this putting anything above God. And so whatever their desire says, that's what they chase down. And lastly, their glory. What are they worshiping here? Their shame. It's whatever I want. That's what I worship. My, my authority. Whatever I want is what gets my attention. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. The heart will worship what it deems authoritative. Um, If you look in your text back to verse 24 and 25, there's a pattern here I I want you to see, verse 24 and 25. It's really sobering. Wisdom says these words, But since you rejected me when I called, and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, Since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke. Did you catch it? It was in there four different ways. What were they doing with the authority? What was this son doing to wisdom's call? Remember, wisdom is calling. What was he doing? Rejected. Didn't give heed. Ignored. Would not accept. Whatever, man. That's that's your truth. Whatever. It's not for me. This is a major issue in our world today. Secondly, wisdom's authority is directed at the heart. Uh, I, I want you to see, jump up to verse 20 and 21. Where does wisdom speak? This is the coolest thing. Verse 20 and 21. Wisdom calls aloud where? In church. That's where. It's in Sunday school. Is that where? Where's wisdom calling out? Yeah, in the street. That's where everybody is. She raises her voice where? In in the public squares. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Hear me now. Everywhere idolatry would be tempted for you, guess where wisdom is? 
She's right there trying to get your attention. She's right there because wisdom speaks to the heart. And anything in our world that wants to capture your heart, wisdom is going to speak against. Now, this last one is the big one, all right? This is what I've been leading up to. Here's the last one. Wisdom's rebuke comes from, doesn't say the pastor. Did you notice that? Wisdom's rebuke doesn't come from Sunday school teacher. It comes from mom and dad. I cannot emphasize this point enough. When wisdom speaks, she speaks through you. Look, the children that you have been given, children that I've been given, they are gifts from God. We don't own them. They are God's property. And he wants to reclaim them because they have been born in separation from him. They belong to him. He wants them back. And do you know what he did? He gave you a sheriff's badge. That's what he did. God gave you as mom and dad, he gave you jurisdiction over his property. You are an agent of God. You are on his payroll with a certain level of expectations that, look, I, if God's given you the authority, you best obey him. Has anyone ever said that to your child? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, right? No, I don't want to have to do this, but look, I need to because God is going to hold me accountable for parenting you. It's one of the very best things that a parent can show is that they are finding themselves in submission to God. That when wisdom speaks, wisdom doesn't just happen out, I I hope they figure it out, hope my kids get it. God's going to speak through you. You want to know how I know this in the text? Look back with me to verse 8. Go on, look back with me. Verse 8, what's it say? Listen who? There it is. Who's doing the speaking here? This is, a, this is mom and dad. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Here's, here's our New Testament passage, Colossians. Do you remember it? Children, obey your pastors. In, is that what it says? What does it say here? Obey your parents in everything. But this pleases the Lord. Mom and dad, you, you, you have a, a heavy weight. You have a calling. And so here, here's my conclusion to you this morning. Everybody still with me? We need to stretch? You're all still good. Say, say we're good. All right, we're good. Here we go. Finishing up. I'm closing up right now. Here it is. Honest instruction of the heart is a process. That's the conclusion of the matter. Honest instruction of the heart. It's a process. Let me say a couple of things on that. First of all, if you don't talk to your children, if you're not giving them instruction, you will fail as a parent. Well, I hope they're learning. I dropped them off to church. I hope they're, they're learning it there. Or, or go have a talk with, this, with Uncle Joe. Go, go some, someone will clue this in. This is you, Mom and Dad. If you are not giving them instructions, they will and you will fail. Secondly, if you're not honest... To root your words upon God's truth. If your authority is not God, then you're not being honest to them. If it's your perception, preference, whatever the way the cultural wind blows, then you're not giving them true instruction. You have to root your words in the infallible authority of God's words. That's the only honest way to shoot straight with our kids. Look, some conversations are tough, right? The birds and the bees talk? That's a fun one, right? Some, look, your kids need to hear, especially in a sex-crazed culture like we live in. Clue your kids in when they're young to understand the difference between right and wrong. That instruction has to come from you, has to be rooted in God's Word. It needs to be aimed at the heart. If, you're, if your instruction, and let's say you're ta- I'm talking to my kids, but I'm only doing behavior modification, you will fail. And they will fail. You have to get to the root of the matter and speak to their heart. And lastly, if you treat parenting like an event, well, we we had the talk. And that was it? That's where it ended? Answer me this. How is temptation doing in your lives? Does it tempt you once and then never, ever again? I'm never tempted ever again. I I, One time and then never again? No, look, the world is not taking a day off. The depravity and corruption of our hearts is not taking a day off. Which means you as mom and dad, you need to make correction in this conversation a process. So, um, so here's my application. Qu- quiz time. You guys ready? 
Look, if Rosanna can do it with the little kids, I can do it with the big kids, right? Um, I, I, I want you to give some honest evaluation. I have in your sermon notes four questions. Do you give clear instruction? How would you answer that as a parent? Yes or no? This is not suggestions. I give clear suggestions. No. Instruction. Well, they need to make up their own mind. Do you know what Sadie, my four-year-old, would do if I let her make up her own mind about dinner? It would be candy corn for every meal of the day. She needs instruction. So ask yourself, grade yourself. And look, on those sermon notes, there's a little wiggle room between uh, maybe you're kind of yes, kind of, somewhere. Grade yourself on this. Otherwise, I'm, I'm wasting my breath up here if, if we're not given evaluation. Number two is this. Do you instruct from God's truth? When you instruct your children, do you reference where you get it from? You must draw them back, not just to, because I said so. That's what my, my grandpa used to say. Do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> nope. Uh, that's not lining up. Your words and your actions, they don't match. And you're a hypocrite at that point. Look, folks, this might not be popular. I, I granted to you in our world today, to speak from God's word means you probably are not going to be popular. To instruct your children upon truth means they might not be popular. Which is more important? The worship of God or the praise of men? You need to instruct from God's word. So how, how are you doing on that? Um, th- this is a study that our small group is kind of going through. And I, I felt like it just begs the question. Look, if I, if I am to instruct from God's word, it's kind of presupposing I know what God's word says. How, how are we doing on that one? Right? If you need to get to the manual to give the instructions presupposes you and I need to kind of know the manual a little bit better. Any amens there? Anybody with me? I need to know the manual a little better. Thirdly is this. You speak to their heart, not behavior modification. Don't react to their behavior. That, that's, a, that's a big one. Hear me, parents? Don't react to their behavior. If you're just punishing upon what they did and you never take a moment to find out why they did it, what's going on under the surface that's causing these actions? You're going to end up taking them down the wrong way. Very fancy and very polite, but the wrong way in life. You need to speak to the heart. And then lastly, do you continue the conversation? Because it's a process. Everybody with me today? Say amen if you're with me. We need God's help with this.